Film runs through our veins and continuously makes us interact with it. I'm your host, Edward Frumkin, and this is Real Print. In this episode, filmmaker Daniel Hymanson talks about the making of his debut feature, So Late So Soon, as well as finding a cohesive way to tell this story and doing principal photography by himself. Finally, in today's concluding thought, I become more open about my neurodivergentness. Some portions are recorded on Zoom, so bear that in mind when you hear the audio and enjoy the show. Thank you for coming to today's episode of Real Print, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And I always begin with all of my guests. What is your first film memory? Oh man, um, I don't know if I ever thought about that. Uh, my first film memory. I, I can think. There's there's some. There's this movie that I always used to watch. The um, Big Rock Candy Mountain or something. Big Rock. That sounds like a Disney movie. In the it wasn't. A, it, it was a true. I mean, when, my first like the the more more sort of like vivid memories of like films where I guess we had this Woody Allen movie in the house, Manhattan Murder Mystery, mm-hmm. and then uh, like Marx Brothers movies. I think those were like two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What specifically about the Manhattan Murder Mystery or the Marx Brothers? got you really excited about movies per se i don't know if those particular films make, got me like super excited to make movies um they were just around you know like I, I don't know if they i don't know if they were the things that made me i don't really know why i was drawn to filmmaking to be honest like i didn't have some incredible experience with movies when i was a little kid or, or something like that well as you said that you don't know what the led you to making movies i when i was like um in middle school or something like around that age i just remember really wanting to make films like it was something from like very early on it's something that i just wanted to do and i don't exactly know what the where that impulse came from exactly um and then when i started doing it it felt sort of easy in a way, like in a way that I very much don't find making films now. Like now I have all these doubts about myself as like a filmmaker and sort of like it feels very, but at the time, like I was just like making these things and there wasn't a lot of pressure on them and I didn't feel it, but it was like, uh, yeah, I just like enjoyed it a lot and I felt good at it, I think when I was maybe 12 or 13 and I got a little mini DV camcorder when I was 12 years old and I started making documentaries at that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what were your first experiences like filming with that mini DV cam? It, they were just really fun. Like I, I just make films with a couple of friends of mine and the first film I made was this strange like documentary about um, sport utility vehicles and it was like it was it was a film about sort of the evils of SUVs and and we spent like months on this film I just remember having a lot of fun with my friends making it mm-hmm. uh, and none of that stuff exists it was all on the school computer and then it they deleted it and so like I spent I spent like months and months on all these films and I never backed it up. I never put it on a DVD. They were just sitting on these school computers and then the school computers were just all wiped and they were all just gone. And I don't even remember caring that much. Like, I just didn't really care. I was like, oh, I guess they're gone. Um, and I was maybe 14 or something like that. And I remember like, oh, it doesn't really, I don't remember being devastated by it at all. And now I want to see them so badly because I have these, just images of these films that I know are wrong, but I'd love to see them now. Was that before, like, we use hard drives today? 
Yeah, I don't remember there being like external hard drives. There must have been at that time, right? But it wasn't, I, sir, I didn't have any. I was just using, they had like some soft, I was using iMovie on the school's computer. God, <laughs> now I know the importance of backing up. Yes, yeah. And uh, how do you feel a little bit more caring about it when you went to Wesleyan as it's a prestigious film school with Lin-Manuel Miranda and I think Michael Bay went there among other alums. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like that was a period where I was a little bit confused about the types of films that I wanted to make. Um, and I, I, but I knew I was interested in filmmaking. I knew I was interested in music and I ended up going to Wesleyan and um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I, and I feel very lucky that I was able to have that experience and I, I definitely learned a lot, but I think as far as like the films that I'm making right now, the experiences I had like after school working on other people's films, they, they feel more relevant to the stuff that I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to be more certain about filmmaking, um, did any of the production courses or the theory courses they mentioned your filmmaker 2022 interview helped your certainty in filmmaking? You know, I don't know. I, I sort of am confused about that. Like, I'm sure it did. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure it did play a, I mean, I spent a lot of, I was like stressed out about school at the time. I was like, it was like sort of, it was pretty difficult for me. Um, and I'm sure those production classes and the, the theory, it, I'm sure it, it's relevant. I'm sure it does, I'm, I'm sure I, uh, it does play into what I'm doing right now, but I, I sort of don't really know how. It, I haven't thought that much about it actually. Okay, well, <laughs> I think that we all have a form of a period of learning, not literally during our college years, but like post-college. And I feel like that it does sign to your associate producing credits on Sarah Dosa's The Last Season and the Ross Brothers Western. Like, how did you met with Josh Penn of DMP? I saw a film that he had produced before he made Beasts of the Southern Wild. He had, they made a short called Glory at Sea. And I emailed him and said that I really loved that film. And I was in Chicago. I had I, actually started shooting footage for what would later become So Late So Soon. But, and I emailed him and said that I loved, I loved that film that he made and, and asked him if he was doing anything. And then he, he asked if I wanted to come and work on a film in San Francisco with him, which ended up being Sarah Dosa's film. And so I didn't, at that point, I was like, I didn't know if I wanted to make documentaries or not. Like I was just, I sort of did, didn't make any real distinction between nonfiction or fiction. I realized like, oh, I just want to make films. But then once I got out to San Francisco and started working on Saradosa's film, which later led to the, me working with Josh on the Ross Brothers film, it, it, it made sense. It's like, I just, I guess it brought me back to like making documentaries, which is what I wanted to make when I was in like seventh grade or something. Mm -hmm. uh, what were your yeah. specific responsibilities in the last season? Sort of anything they wanted, you know, that sort of was with, with both of those projects, it was very much like an assistant. I mean, I have associate producer credits on those films. It was sort of just like being an assistant in any way that would be helpful. But I spent a lot of time on that film, I think, editing work samples, doing assistant editor sort of work. I'm not a very good writer, but like sort of helping write grants and restructure things for grant applications. Um, yeah, just sort of lots of looking for archival material for that film and sort of that was fun, just sort of hunting down different pieces of archival material. Mm -hmm. As you've done a lot of post-production and grant writing, how much of uh, it was being uh, on set, like in San Francisco in uh, last season and uh, in 
Texas and Mexico for Western. I actually wasn't on set at all in either of those films. So I was just in post on both of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. I thought yeah. they had some role in the, like, in all- I just came on, I came on late in the, in the pro- later in the projects. Um, yeah, I would have loved to see how both those films were mm-hmm. shot. That would have been. Yeah, and uh, what were some particular favorite scenes that uh, you edited for the last season and Western? Oh, man. Well, I didn't edit them, but I, I was around. Yeah, I mean, I was around during post-production. Um, I haven't seen those. It's, I, I have not seen those films in a while. It's been like for both maybe. I don't know how it went six, seven years or something, maybe even more than that. Um, I'd like to re, I feel like I can't quite answer that question. I'd like, I'd like to revisit both of those, both of those films. Cause I'm sure they would feel different to me now. Like I spent so much time looking at that footage that I, I'd like to see it with sort of fresh eyes and, and see what it feels like from, from more of the perspective of just like a normal viewer. Mm-hmm. Well, based on my experience with Western, like I enjoy how the Russ Brothers uses a lot of like community-oriented moments that builds up to the climax they would see in four, five, three, six, five, and blowing sure. noses, empty pockets, and bounding between like the music that's in Western and then all the the cattle stuff. That's what I really enjoy in Western. It's beautiful. So that those cattle shots are incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's also a lot of sunsets in both of those films yeah totally i saw man i love bloody nose empty pockets so much mm-hmm. i, I do it. too i just want everyone in dmp knows that i love all the films you do <laughs> <laughs> and yeah now that really leads me to so late so soon um how did you first met jackie and don so when i was like five years old my mom enrolled me in this children's art class, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago that Jackie was teaching. And she taught, she taught these classes on the weekend. And so I took those classes with my sister and they were just really, you know, I, I have sort of faint memories of them because I was very young, but I, I just remember those classes making me very excited to make art. And she would sort of, sort of transform the, classroom environment we would make she i remember once um she we covered the walls with brown sort of crumpled up pieces of paper and we made paint brushes out of sticks and fur and made cave paintings on the wall it's another time she had slides of india on the wall and, and she made a train of of chairs so we sort of took a train trip through india and made our own passports and there was a dance performance that we did to a these lyrics of an Ella Fitzgerald song that I'm I'm blanking on the name of the song, but it was like she had she 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 uh, wrote out these this one phrase from the song really big on the wall, and then we had a whole dance performance of the song, and. Just there was, yeah, just an incredible class. And so we stayed in contact with Jackie and then my family would periodically visit her at her house. And I got to know Jackie's world and I got to know Don and I got to know her artwork through just these visits to her over the years. And then when I was in high school, I, or when I was in middle school, I played music with Jackie. I played the bass guitar and I'd go over there and she would play piano and we'd play together and she'd have these jazz standards that she would be working on and she'd, we'd, we'd play those. And then when I got older, I made a short film about her in high school, but she was always someone I felt very lucky to know. And I was, I just, they were just so cool and I looked up to them. And so as soon as I sort of knew that I wanted to make films, I knew that I wanted to, make films with or about Jackie. And so that's sort of how the project began. And the film took the film took a number of years, even though it doesn't really look like that, but 
it has started and a lot of the early most of the footage is from 2017 but i started in like 2012 so the film sort of evolved over time and i got to know jackie and don much better through the making of the film yeah i wanted to go back a little earlier about being in the classroom with jackie like is it structurally had a similar architecture or similar display of like art objects like how it is in her house or is it like regular desks and chairs no it's totally that's what's so cool about it is that it totally it was such an extension of like her artwork like it really felt that way and like in retrospect i i didn't realize that when i was younger but like now looking back on it and for the film i looked at all this archival material of the classes and it just feels like so much an extension of like her art practice, you know, like it, it's like we were making installations out of the space of the classroom, which is just so much what Jackie does with her own artwork. It was like a class that only she could have taught because it's so much just like how she lives her life, you know, like, like doing the sort of stuff that we were doing in the classroom all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to mention that her house is like a museum, even though she was, I'm not sure if she was conscious or not, but she know how to plan everything like an installation or everything, painting or an object on the wall. Yeah, that's the, I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like the house is a museum of, I, I, I interviewed for the film, none of these interviews are in the film, but I interviewed this woman who, who was an art therapist, Don, and worked at the School of Art Institute with Don, and they would occasionally, take tours with students of the house. And she said that walking in the house was like walking inside Jackie's skin or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it really is just, I forgot why I mentioned that. Uh, but he, I, yeah, I forgot, I forgot what I was saying. That's okay, but there's still a lot more that I have to ask one. And the short film that you're referring to, is it the Queen of the Battling Butterfly Brigade or is that something else? That's something, that was the first name of So Late So Soon was Queen of the Battling Butterfly Brigade. So for years until just before the film was premiere, that was its name. Mm -hmm. Jackie had a, and it didn't make sense once the film, we edited the film because Jackie had a group of kids that came over to her house after school sort of an after school arts program in rogers park that the neighborhood that the house is in and she called she called that group the battling butterfly brigade and there was this doll named gaga goo goo like a character that she created it was like a soft sort of stuffed animal and she had structured all these classes with the battling butterfly brigade from the story that she made about this doll and Gaga Goo Goo was with her parents and her pig somewhere in Appalachia and they wanted to see the Aurora Borealis and so they go and when the, they, they hitchhike to, to uh, they hitchhike wherever you can see the Aurora Borealis you know where you where like uh, Iceland or something but they they, they hitch the hitchhikes there and then and then uh and then they're like they're so amazed by the lights in the sky that they're swallowed by a crevasse in the earth and gaga's parents throw her and the pig up to safety and gaga and the pig spend the rest of their lives at three years old searching the world for their parents and so that's the story of gaga and pig and jackie would structure these classes based on that story so it would be like you were in what you would get these letters back from gaga searching for her parents in spain for instance and then you would have a class sort of based on things in this letter and and so that, there was at a certain point that was the film was about that which doesn't it it's very different from what the film ended up becoming but that's why it was called queen of the battling butterfly every year. that's such a lovely story but i wish that they had better um, communication through film language. Yes, I tried to do it and it didn't work. I filmed with like a, 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 like a kid a actor and, and a pig. I had a potbelly pig I was filming with. Mm -hmm. And what's the short film they're referring to? Because in the credits I saw short film Kickstarter backers. 
That was early on when, when in 2011, I did a Kickstarter for what I thought was gonna be a short film that ended up becoming so late so soon. So that was Queen of the Battling Butterfly Brigade. Um, and they, through that Kickstarter, I got a DSLR and I started shooting these interviews with Jackie. Okay, and uh, I do want to ask about what made you think that uh, Jackie and Don are great film characters they want to explore more? I guess I never like thought about it very, I, I just thought they were always just these people in my life who were always seemed like the most interesting people in my life. Like from when I was a little kid, you know, it wasn't like a situation where I was like, oh, I found some people who feel like fascinating film characters. It really just was these, are people who I feel so lucky about, lucky to know. And so of course they'd be the people who I'd want to work with and sort of learn from and, and film. And, you know, like they're the people who I wanted to spend the most time with and a film allows you to do that. And so, yeah, it always just was something that I sort of felt very deeply like, oh, these are, of course, these are like sort of uh, good film characters also. Mm -hmm. And uh, what got you more to a cohesive structure of the film and avoiding the interviews? That was sort of a slow process. I think I, I went in in 2012 and I shot all these interviews with Jackie, but the interviews were very much like based on this, how I saw her when I was a kid, sort of what I knew of her which was her as a teacher and her as an installation, as an artist. And, and so that was what I thought the film was going to be about. I thought it was gonna be about Jackie, Jackie, Jackie talking about her approach to teaching and explaining sort of like her motivations for doing art. And then, and then as I, I took all that footage and I went and I edited, I tried to edit something out of it. And it, I felt like it didn't really show what was so special about spending time with Jackie and Don in that house. And so I went back sort of being open to the film sort of uh, evolving in ways that I didn't really know and being open to it just being something different because whatever I was doing before wasn't working. And so the film, I feel like the film became more about what was present in their lives when I was shooting. And so I wouldn't have necessarily want, I wouldn't have wanted to make a film about sort of what this film became about in a lot of ways, sort of like the themes at the center of this film. Like, it's not something I would have gone out wanting to make a film about, but that was just what happened to be the fo what they were most focused on when I was making this or when I had the opportunity to spend this time with them and make this film. And so I think as I was filming, the film sort of took, it, it, I, I realized sort of different things that were becoming the focus. And then from there, I think I was probably more attuned to those sorts of things. So I think probably more, you know, focused on them with the camera more. And then in the edit, that's where really like the structure and the, uh, ended up. Mm -hmm. So really the film spoke, sorry. So the film spoke to you rather than you spoke the film. That was my goal. I feel like when I was best at letting it speak to me, that's when the film is, it was best or, you know, that's when I got the best stuff. Mm -hmm. And as you've filmed for several years on Knopf, like there have, you have to be patient. And I note that there are some films that really influenced your approach in this Verite doc and explain what they were and the impact that they had on the film. Yeah, I, I, there was a period where I started watching a lot of movies because I realized like, I was trying to figure out what types of movies I wanted to make. I hadn't watched a lot of documentaries when I started making the film. And then I edited all this footage that didn't really, that I didn't like. And I was like, at that point, I decided to tr like make an effort to really watch films. So the films that, and, I, and films that sort of maybe felt more relevant to what I was doing on a surface level felt relevant. Uh, and, and so I, I watched um, 
I watched Errol Morris, sort of the early Errol Morris, The Burning Florida and Gates of Heaven, and then Alan King's movies, uh, A Married Couple and Warrendale, and then Ross McAvoy's films, um, like this, this movie Bright Leaves that I liked a lot. And then um, I'm blanking if it's Bright Leaf or Bright Leaves now. I know, I saw on Filmmaker Magazine, Charlene and Charlene, yes. also um, Terry Zigwoff's Crumb. Exactly, Crumb, and he, he has another film called uh, Louie Bluey. So like, for, like, I feel like all of those films, what I've, one big thing that I learned from them was that what was, what they were couldn't have been, or it felt to me like they could, it couldn't have been really anticipated before they began shooting. It was sort of, there were, yes, yeah, so there was some sort of quality about what those films are that just felt beyond what some, someone could have written or planned for. And so that I felt like really informed my process where I went into, I, I really tried to be open to this being something that I couldn't anticipate. And so not having preconceived notions about what I wanted the film to end up being. And I didn't entirely succeed in that, I feel like, but, but uh, the more I was open to sort of things being what they became, like the better the film was, I think. And, and there were other things that I learned from, I think, yeah, just sort of like lots of things I think I learned from those, from those filmmakers and films. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they really help influence your style. And I know in the credits that you were the only one that filmed with the photography credit and not sure if there was any other sound mixers, but how much of it was just yourself on set? And when did Kelm Quinn, Josh, Trace Henderson, and um, Noah Stahl do come on as the producers? It was all just me on set. So that's sort of, and I'm working on a couple things now also. I think that's sort of the only way I'd want to, I, I mean, maybe that'll change, but it's the only way I can sort of see myself making films is just like one person shooting and doing sound. Um, so, and, and with Jackie and Don in particular, it's like, it was a very intimate, small, even though they have this big house, they spent all their time in these sort of small spaces. So, it was very, it was cramped. Like they, most of their time was spent in this little room. They call it the library, but it's sort of like a, like a little office that they had with a couch and Dom would sit on the chair and draw or watch TV and Jackie would be at the computer doing her sort of video art. And, um, and so, yeah, I think to have another person and the film and I just, I, yeah, it would feel cramped. Maybe there would be a situation where like another person working with me would make sense you know, if the relationship included that person or, you know, like, but, but, uh, mm -hmm. the relationship with the subjects or something, but, but, uh, uh, yeah. So I was working all alone when I was, when I first started the project, I took this break, like I said, and edited something and then going back into the project, that's when Trace came on and he was, I knew him, or, or I got introduced to him through Josh because I had been working with Josh for a number of years. And so Trace worked with me for a couple of years on when I was shooting. And then, and, and that made so much, I mean, it was incredible to have someone to work with like that. I mean, it makes, I just, yeah, I mean, it's just it, having like the project was so collaborative with those producers. And then eventually Kellen came on and then Josh and Noah came on. But there are all these incredible and, and, and I made the film over the course of many, many years. So it was like other people had different commitments and they could be present in a different way at different times, you know. But like the film was incredibly collaborative cre creatively. They also made it possible for me to like spend time working on the film because of support for the film that they brought and like, but they also, it was just like such a collaborative process in the edit in particular and in production sort of sending stuff to Trace and getting his feedback. But um, yeah, I feel so lucky to have been able to work with those guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, even though it was just yourself and said, like, there was a lot of discussions I could just see in the final product that smoothed everything well. Oh, thank you, yeah. And uh, I do want to ask about the use of the archival footage and photos. Like, when did you discover that uh, 
um, that Jack and her dom and taking photos of themselves through the years. And uh, even like knowing how popular that Jack and Don are in just the local area of Chicago with the different news clips. I think early on in the process, I found all these, there were all these boxes of Super 8, <coughs> Super 8 footage and photographs in their house. And Jackie said I could take those and have them digitized. And so I did that pretty early on. Um, and that stuff's amazing. Like, I think it's so beautiful. And I love Jackie's photography and they would film themselves. And Don is so funny in so much of that stuff. And not necessarily actually what's in the film. He's not, he's not super funny in that footage, but there's that beautiful moment where he's dancing to the Willie Nelson song. And that stuff's amazing. There was all these recordings also, some of that, which is, there's one moment in the film that's just audio where they're talking about being an alligator and a mouse. Mm -hmm. And Jackie, in like, from like 1979 to 1981, carried around a tape recorder. And so there are all these recorded conversations between her and her family and her friends. And so I got to listen to all that stuff, which was super interesting and, and see who they were, like the ways that they, like they seemed very much like the same people who I know knew, but sort of the subtle ways in which they had changed. It was interesting to see that also in those audio recordings in particular. How did you weave in the archival materials into the present timeline of the film? That was very much like Izzy, who you also know, was who edited the film. He, that was sort of very much like his lead there. He, he really felt that the archival material should work in the same way that any other footage that was shot for the film would work. So they all sort of had to function like a scene, a real scene in the film. So there wasn't going to be a montage of images. It was like just thinking about that footage in the same way that we thought about all the footage that I shot, you know, just thinking about it as footage that Jackie and Don shot for this film sort of, you know, and, and, and I think in some ways that also re reflects how Jackie thinks or, and, and thinks, about, thinks about memory in the film. So the, the things that are in the past feel very present in some ways for her. And so we wanted the, the archival material to function in a similar way where it, had, it, it felt similar to just the stuff that I was shooting. Yeah, I felt that there was a call and response between the present and the archival, notably when Jackie was skating and then talks about her knees. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and that is like, I feel like that footage in particular just shows how important her physicality was to her artwork or performance, you know, and 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 you really get to see that because she's like so energetic and physical there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it does me want to talk about both the house and the characters because you do a great job correlating like the state of both the house and the participants, not just exterior lives, but the interior lives as well. Like, can you talk about like correlating both of them when weaving through the narrative of the movie? Yeah, you mean at, like how, like as, as it relates to the house? Yes, because yeah, yeah, like, totally. as Jackie and Ladon would soon like leave the home and then the house would have uh, like rain or water coming down and rats and see the end of it. Yeah, I, the house just always felt like such an, such sort of an embodiment of Jackie and Don. Like it, they had lived there for most, basically all of their relationship, they moved, they bought that house like shortly after they were, they had gotten together and it just felt like so, I can't imagine them anywhere else. You know, it was just like so much who they were and it felt like, you know, and, and the, the whole house, Jackie had built these installations all throughout the house, but Jack, Don's work was just integrated into all of those installations. So. Like for instance, there'd be one of, one of the sections that I really liked of the house is near the front door. And there was this 
big table with maybe 60 of these chicks that Don had made, like these little, uh, he made them out of tinfoil and duct tape and they were little chick, like uh, chicks. He made chicks and then birds also. And, and, but Jackie's work was sort of the, how those were on this table. You know, she put them on this table and she would take those and put her found objects in there. It was just like such a combination of the two of them. And, and so, yes, yeah, so, so the house really felt like an extension of who they were as individuals and very much as who they were as a couple. And then as they got older, it became harder to maintain because it's this big old house. And so I think it would naturally, if their bodies were hurting or it was becoming harder to do physical things, the house would naturally sort of begin to have some trouble because they couldn't take care of it in the same way. Um, and so that's sort of how I felt. I, I don't know if I, that's a super clear answer to your question, but yeah, it felt sort of, it, it felt sort of natural for the things in the, the house to sort of reflect how things were going with their physical health and, and internally as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that answer is great. And okay. I do want to ask you about um, weaving into like their personal lives and then the art lives because I didn't realize that Don is also an art therapist, but the, you decide not to show much of the art therapy in the film. And how do you decide which artistic portions of their lives will be in the film, what they won't be? That was, I think, largely just because I was interested in sort of how what the things that they were doing currently were, you know, less so than what the things that they had done in the past were. Uh, um, I, I did a lot of these interviews with both of them where I was asking them questions about Jackie, about her teaching. And she used to have a store called Split Personalities and then Don about all these things that he had done in the past. But I mean, his like long career, in art therapy and also lots of different sort of big sculpture projects that he had been involved with or, or that he had done over the years. But he, I felt like they were both sort of bored with those questions because they had been asked them so many times and they just weren't really, it's just like all, you watch that footage and it's like, oh, this seems like an answer that someone has answered a million times. And so I think from that, it just, I would became more interested in what they were doing now. So with Don, it was the portraits that he was drawing. And then there was, we have some archival material of him making the rhino and things like that, his antelopes, but it, it was more just like, oh, what are the things? Cause I love the work that he did when he was young. And I also love the work that he did when he was like in his eighties, you know, when I was there. And so it, that sort of, my focus was just sort of what was happening in the present for the most part. And then what was, what sort of archival moments we had access to that stuck out as well. Mm -hmm. But I would have loved, I really, cause I didn't really know, I didn't know Don as like the art therapy professor. It's just like not who I knew him as. I, I there was a period where I was just looking so hard because everyone who talks about him as, an, as a professor of art therapy talks about him in this incredible way where they just, you know, he just like affected so many people's lives and seemed so influential, but it's just not something that I had access to personally. And so it's not something that I felt like I, that it made sense to be in the film. I was looking very hard for footage of him teaching. I would have loved to have seen that, but I couldn't find any of it. It's like, it doesn't, it, to, I couldn't find it out there unfortunately mm -hmm. um, but yeah that's sort of how and I love these soft sculptures that Jackie built she would build these big like she would sew these big canvas stuffed animals and stuffed dolls and I would have loved for that to be a part of the film also but it just was never it never really made sense hmm. well I just wish that uh, you could see everything by the end of the day this is just 
like your experience with Jackie and Don, not what everyone else is saying. Totally, yes. It's just, a, it's just like, how I think of it is just like a little glimpse into their lives when I personally sort of had the opportunity to make this film over the course of a couple of years. So it's not like the be all end all portrait of these people. It's just sort of a small little piece that I, that I was lucky to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as it's a glimpse and nice seeing like some critics saying that this movie is a farewell or tribute. Like, how do you like feel about that when you like make stories as a documentarian? Because like, whenever documentarian makes stories with participants, Tangley, it's already a tribute. Like, why does this have to be singled out sometimes? Yeah, I guess that that used to make me feel like a little uncomfortable for some reason. It doesn't anymore. I'm I'm not really sure why. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like for some reason, I, I sort of am blanking on why that used to like the them people saying this felt like a tribute was made me feel weird. But it actually doesn't make me feel weird just when we're talking right now. I guess now I sort of it feels like a tribute to this moment and the, the, a tribute to like a moment in time when I got to be with these people who I really love you know um it's not a because some something about tribute sort of makes it seem like it's this a bigger deal in some ways than I think the film actually is or something um like they were just so much bigger than this thing so it's not but but yeah I mean it is a it's a tribute to sort of how I saw them how they chose to sort of like perform when I was there and all that stuff like it is a tribute to that, I guess. Um. <laughs> well, everyone can describe him, but it's just a beautiful <laughs> portrait. And even at times, like, funny how Jack was saying, I'm not an intimate person. And uh, especially in that scene in the restaurant, was that Sarah Hymanson speaking to Jack? Because I saw Sarah featuring in the film. Yes, yes, that's my sister, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and also, like when you were filming at the restaurant and the doctors at the point, like how did you get your way through? Because restaurants are always nervous about commercialization and with doctors, you worry about revealing privacy, confidential stuff on camera. Yeah, I feel like it's hard to anticipate how someone will respond to being asked to film. It's just, I sort of don't, it's, it's really unpredictable. So I think for me in both of those instances, I've been going to that restaurant that doesn't exist anymore, closed down, unfortunately, a couple of years ago called Viceroy of India in Rogers Park in Chicago. I've been going there since I was a kid. So had Jackie. So we had this relationship with that restaurant. And so when I called, they sort of knew who I was. And then also Jackie's doctor knew who I was because, you know, we were just like, apart from making the film we were like close friends and so I occasionally they'd help me out with certain things and I'd help them out with certain things and I'd bring them to doctor's appointments or like Don was sick and I'd visit him at the hospital during a period and so I knew Dr. Clancy so mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't like a cold it wasn't just like I was coming out of nowhere like they knew this had been a project for many years they knew um so I think that's sort of why those people agree but there were also people who didn't want to be films and I've I've definitely gotten no's from people as well Mm -hmm. despite the rejection it is such a community story with all the the Frank and all the other people that come in out and even whenever um Jackie drives or is in the car yeah totally yeah I love I mean I love Frank I haven't seen Frank for years and I don't know if Frank has seen the film I emailed him try but I yeah I don't I tried try to get in contact with him, but I, lo- I love I love Frank. Yeah, I like I like filming with him in the house. It was cool to have like because he was also such a big part of sort of like stopping by and making sure things were going right in the house. Like he was always there fixing things and helping mm-hmm. out. It did make me want to lean to like Don. Unfortunately, he was unable to see the final cut or be able to attend True Falls like Jackie. And like, how much did Don see of the film before he passed away in 2019? I would have loved to watch the final film with him. And I had, and, and, and I feel so lucky that I was able to have this whole experience with Don and get close to him through the making of this film. But he didn't, 
um yeah I, I periodically show them footage so like i i he, he never saw a cut of the film because i really wanted to get the cut i don't know how i i think i'd probably do it differently now but i was so precious about what i showed them because i wanted to feel confident in what i was making before i showed them footage like i didn't want to show them something where i wasn't exactly sure how it was being perceived by people you know like because sometimes you can work on something for a while and lose perspective and it can be something totally different for the people who are watching it than yourself. You know what I mean? And so I wanted to like be confident that like what I thought this was, was how it was being perceived by other people. And I felt comfortable with that before I showed Don and Jackie. Um, and so I didn't show them a cut of the film until we were like very, very far. I showed them raw footage throughout production. And so that's the last, like, I have this on, I filmed showing me showing Don footage and, and he was always incredibly like, you know, make, making of the film was, there was Don and Jackie weren't necessarily people who wanted a film made about them. It's like, they were doing this in a lot of ways as a favor to me. And I think we all enjoyed spending time together, but in a lot of ways, the camera was like annoying, I think. But whenever Don, whenever I showed him footage, he was just like so supportive and encouraging and it meant a lot to me. And so what he saw was just sort of long string outs of raw footage, basically, periodically throughout when I was shooting. Mm -hmm. And how did that quote unquote favor turn into an investment that they want to like feel empowered when being and told in this story yeah i don't wait how did the favor how did the like, favor how does that favor turn into an investment because like i would rather like do investments than owe someone a favor sure i mean i think the investment is more in the relationship like we we got so close to the making of this film like the the project was more than like the the like 70 minute movie very much you know it's like that i i think the investment was more so in just like you know being a close friend and getting this strange an opera documentary like this gives you the opportunity to spend a strange amount of time with someone in a intimate and unique way um and i think we all had a good time hanging out together and so that's maybe where more so the investment is. It's like an investment in a, a relationship with someone. And I think he took that very seriously. And, and, and so the, and I, I think that thinking about the camera is an annoyance or this is a favor is maybe an oversimplification, but I do think like in a lot of ways they were doing this for me because they cared about me and not because it was like, we're people who are interested in being in a film necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is such a caring and melancholic film where there is a lot of moments of reflecting, which is a huge thing in the film, whether it's Jackie at the roller ring or her comments on a painting like near the beginning of the third act. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that I noticed that the film was in the sound design and film music lab at Sundance, but there was no score and just few certain music that came along with news footage or smooth operator. Like, what was your goal with the music and sound design? Yeah, I which there's no music in there. <laughs> the, the music and sound design lab was like on. It was like an incredible experience. Um, but I think something, well, I had always planned for to work with my friend Zach, um, who's like my, who knows Jackie, who's one of my closest friends since I was a little kid. And I always planned on working with him on the, on the, on the score. But then we would put things in and it just never really worked. And I think it always felt like it was pushing the film in a certain direction or it was sort of like telling the audience a bit like what to feel in a way that didn't feel right. 
it was uh and then also jack there's a lot of music in the film already like you said like there are these songs like jackie is scoring the film there's smooth operator there's the willie nelson song there's the songs from the her video art that she's making there like there's a lot of music in the film already and so i just it it, it never felt whenever we put things in there it always felt sort of uh what's the word like uh forced yeah forced or like what's something where it's like over where it's simplifying something or it's making it into it's like uh watered down yeah something like that like 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 uh it 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 never really worked and so and we didn't edit izzy doesn't like editing but temp music so there was never music in there really mm -hmm. yeah and uh, that makes me want to talk about like the bird chirping in the photo montage like even though i'm not sure if you were like recording this outside but uh, like i know it's some bird chirping or something similar to that when you show the photos of jackie and don like with the bald hats yes and like what was the goal with like the bird chirping there that's in the that's in the uh the audio so that audio is jackie recorded that and it is like they were taking a little road trip and they had a picnic in a park outside and so they're just birds there mm -hmm. and that's sweet and uh i noticed in the credits that there was vfx like i was i did not think that there was any visual effects like what type of visual effects were in the movie there are yeah the the visual effects are we worked with a classroom our, our, our college class in, in in San Francisco, and there are a couple of things that. One of them was just very early on in the film. There's a mirror, like the first thirty seconds. There's like I'm in a mirror, mm -hmm. and I if that was later on in the film, I think that'd be I would like that. But at that moment, I didn't feel like me being such a being so so sort of like in your face a presence in the first like 30 seconds in the movie made sense. And so that was something that the VFX people did. They took myself out of the mirror and sort of like had it reflect the ceiling instead of my face. Uh, and there were a couple other things like, like that sort of small things that helped us construct. Um, yeah, just helped it make it possible to sort of construct this into something coherent. Or like more coherent mm -hmm. and uh, even though you're not there physically uh, you did include your voice in, in the comments like when jackie showed you a bug and when uh, she talked about don eating like paper for a living like why did you include your voice but not the your physical self those are both moments with the the mice so the first thing is a mouse turd and then the second thing is is the mouse eating the paper, but it's like, uh, well, I, I in I feel like in a lot of ways, what is missing from this film is my presence, and now I'm working on something that feels like a reaction to that. But I do feel like I wasn't looking for moments where I was interacting with Jackie and Don, but when I watch the film, it does feel like that's something that's missing. Like I, I, it's like the three of us in this space and I'm not there. I, not that like, I feel like they're, they're much more like compelling characters than I am, but it, I sort of wish that I was a part of it a bit more. Um, and, and I'd hope that by, I hope that you can get a sense of my personality through sort of, there's sort of like awkward camera movements in some ways, you know, clunky camera movements. And then also there are these little moments with Jackie, the two that you mentioned where it's like, you hear my voice, and I hope you can get some small sense of our friendship through these like various these moments. So that's where it is. It's like that, or that's why those moments are there, just to show to yeah to give some sense of sort of like that we were close or so some our dynamic, you know. Mm. Well, I hope that it becomes more apparent soon. And one last question: was so late so soon? is that the film major theme is about avoiding letting go. And uh, like I just wanted like how do you um, convey 
that theme of worry about fleeing or worry about the end and just stay like a good perfect middle like that cow hanging in the opening yeah i mean it seemed really hard like it seemed very difficult and so my sort of takeaway after making this film is that it's it, it is that that experience of like getting older is like can be really can be really tough and so i don't know if i have like it, it, any sort of let i don't know if i really have any lessons it makes me like and I also feel the same way about that house and they're, them there to get, it's like, I miss a lot. I wish it was still around, you know? Cause Don, Don is no longer alive. Someone else lives in the house now. She doesn't live there anymore. And it's like, yeah, I wish it, I, I wish it was still like it was 10 years ago, you know? Mm -hmm. um, what about the art that Jackie made? Where is it at as someone lives here now? Well, her artwork sort of can't travel. You know what I mean? Like it exists in the space that she lives in. Like that's what her artwork is. It's just this constantly evolving series of found object assemblages that she's creating throughout her day in her living environment. And so you can't really like take it from one place and move it to another. And so that artwork in the house doesn't exist anymore. Um, it's all gone, and which is really sad, but she has a smaller apartment in sort of like a senior living complex now. And she's created new installations there. So she has like a very, very Jackie sighted apartment in someplace else. And so it's been fun to follow what sort of new installations she's created. Mm -hmm. there. Yeah, I remember that uh, we spoke before at Prismatic Ground that you're making a follow-up, and is this the follow-up that you told me at Prismatic? Yeah, I mean, it's I'm making another film, and the film is sort of, the film is, Jackie's a big part of it, and it's about, I, I, I spent, after during the pandemic, no one was living at the house and they were preparing for it to, to, to be up for sale. And I didn't have a permanent place. I had been living in Paris to edit till it so soon because that's where Izzy lived. And then I came back to New York and just to like, we were rushing to finish the film and I was just staying at friends' places and then the pandemic happened and Jackie's house was empty and she offered to let me stay there. And then over the course of the next year, I expect, expected to be there for a couple of weeks, you know, but then I ended up being there for like quite a long time. And I was working with her and her family to go through the objects, clean it up, sort of prepare it to be sold. Um, and so the film that I made over that period of time is about that process, working with Jackie to clean, it's, it's, it's about the house, it's about Jackie. And then it also became about my own family. Like it's more of a first person film. I'm excited about it. Um, mm -hmm. Are you going to be more including the film like physically this time? Yes, that's because that was also, this film is a sort of reaction of me being like, oh, I wish I had been more part, maybe too much so. But it's like, yeah, this is like, it's like a first person film. It's like about my time. Um, working with Jack, or it's about my my friendship with Jackie, and it's about that house and my relationship with the house. And then it's also about it, it evolved into becoming about like about my family and and uh, but yeah, very much more in in this film in a, in a direct way. Mm -hmm. And do you expect like a lot more of the similar verite cinematography that you had? in Soleil So Soon to be in this follow-up? Probably not quite as much, actually. Mm -hmm. Just well, because a lot of this film is like me filming myself, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then me, there is some verite stuff for sure, but I think less, less like observational style. Mm -hmm. Wow, just can't wait to see the differences, like lyric call and response to that. 
and that opening scene i just want to say before we wrap up like it was a great job of just explaining wow they have a cool house and the cow hanging in the middle that gives a symbol of their own lives or what they do and then cut to um jackie's being an art teacher before, oh, okay, that's how, you don't say Jackie's art teacher right away, like, that's a good show, don't tell. Yeah, totally, yeah. Mm -hmm. that's, I, I, yeah, Izzy is, I, that's sort of like, Izzy, I feel like Izzy is very good at that, with like his films, sort of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I saw Act of Love, uh, yeah. Isidore did, and you did some additional cam, additional camp photography um what were the scenes that you did in that movie you know he actually i didn't shoot any of the film but he used some footage that i had shot so like i think there's maybe one or two images of chicago that i had shot for so late so soon that he put into acts of love and then there's this one there's this one uh <clears throat> there's one shot of a seal on a beach you remember that it's like a it's like a photograph of a of a seal looking at the camera mm. it's I sort of a blur while but <laughs> but i had i would i was staying at a friend's house and i shot that on a beach and so he used that so that's what the additional photography is referring to mm -hmm. yeah i just got all the things to do and uh, thank you for spending time with me daniel and uh, before I let you go, is there a film they want to recommend that's a little too unknown to many audiences? Oh man, well, first off, thank you so much for having me. This has been very fun and I really appreciate it. I keep a little list. I should have like a letterbox, but instead I just have a Word document. Do you have a letterbox? I don't use it as much. Like I sometimes worry about other filmmakers I'm getting close to now, like, well, they actually see my review. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. You know, yes. like, let me just be bold, be brave about it. <laughs> but it is, as someone who has made a film, it is like nerve wracking to have the, to have the but it also feels very good when someone writes a nice thing, but it is like, you, yeah, you know, you'll meet someone and you'll know exactly like the number of stars they gave you or whatever. You know, this is not, this is a film that lots of people have seen, but that I've been, I rewatched a couple times this year called Parrots of Telegraph Hill that I love. It's like one of the highest grossing documentaries of all time, I think, but it's, it's really good. Parrots of Telegraph Hill? Parrots of Telegraph Hill. I've, yeah, I've watched it a number of times this year. Um, I've n never seen that movie. Highly so. recommend. Okay. I'll try my best to find it soon. And uh, thank you for spending so much time on just your path to before so late so soon and working with Jackie and Don. And uh, even if it's a tribute or a portrait or whatever, but thank you. Thank you very much. Today's concluding thought, being neurodivergent. I did not talk much about being neurodivergent in the past. I was worried about how others would think of me. Even though one in four adults in the US has a disability, we live in a world where many people see it as a negative thing or something people should fix. However, I feel more comfortable starting to talk about it more openly now as I understand myself better. Though I had speech therapy in the past partly because of how my brain develops, no one should cure my autism. I prefer to describe myself as neurodivergent over autistic because autistic has historically negative connotations. Nothing is wrong with it or how others express themselves, but I want others to know my background and that neurodivergent historically is a more accepted term where people do not judge or question it. I feel better when I tell others about my experience as I do not feel pain from holding it to others. I never really hid my neurodivergentness, though I never mentioned it for survival purposes 
You can sense it through how I talk or my behavior in public settings. I'm glad to embrace it, but I have some people tell me that you shouldn't bring it up for better social mobility. I tell them that I am explicit about it for bringing in a perspective that has been historically excluded. I do not use this to gain special treatment or have it be a detrimental factor in social settings. I am stating my experience. Everything, everything said here is only my experience and I'm not here to represent all autistic and neurodivergent people. I do not know everyone on the autism spectrum. We all come from different backgrounds, yet we have moments that we can relate to. However, I do not disclose this on many job applications because I do not know what recruiters think of when they read the word disability. Due to the mass media portrayals of disabilities, many films and TV shows show more stories about people with physical disabilities than mental disabilities. Also, there is nowhere on the application to mention which condition a person might have fully. I had to mention I don't wish to answer than saying yes when I apply for jobs because of the limited space the application offers and I'm not wholly lying when I say I don't want to answer the question. It's rough to see that discrimination. I hope that I have good qualifications for a novice entry level job soon. I will use this space to discuss how neurodivergent runs into other aspects of my life and to make at times disability a forefront of the conversations within this industry and to do better at incorporating that in a higher level. And that's today's concluding thought. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Real Print. This episode's music includes Continuum Mutation, courtesy of Kama, and Shimmering by Rafa Orchestra, courtesy of Epidemic Sounds. This episode is co-produced and edited by Anish Katu and Edward Frumpkin. Please check out this episode's notes and links, as well as reviews, award, and seasonal predictions and essays written by yours truly at realprint.org. That is R-E-E-L print.org. This is Edward Frumpkin signing off.